Father, we recognize that we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Father, He's here in this place. And we know that You are here, Father, through Your Spirit right now. Father, we come to just celebrate Christ and what He has done for each one of us on the cross. Father, as we consider again the true meaning of Easter, Lord, would You simply speak to us through Your Spirit. Encourage us, Father. Challenge us, Lord. Send us out different people, Lord, because we have spent time and we have seen the risen Savior this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a custom in the early church to greet one another by saying, He is risen, and then to reply, He is risen indeed. So why don't we do that as an Easter greeting this morning? And, and you know, put a little gusto into it, alright? We're going to do it three times. He is risen! He is risen! He is risen! He is risen! Amen. During the war between England and France, Napoleon was drafting men, French men, into the army. And there's a story that there was this one young man that was drafted into the army. And yet before he went to serve, he had a friend of his who came alongside him and said, you know what, I know that you've been drafted into the army. Let me go and serve in your place as your surrogate, as your substitute. And so this young man was accepted. He went into the military and very soon afterwards on the battlefield, this friend died. Now sometime after that, there was a clerical error that was made. And that same young man who had been drafted before was again drafted into the army. And this young man went down to the local place and he said to the guys, you know, you can't draft me. I'm already dead. The guys looked at him and they said, you're not dead, you're standing here right in front of us. He said, no, 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 open up the books, look at your records. And so they pulled out the books and they opened them up and sure enough, there was his name and beside his name were written the words, killed in action. He said, see, I'm already dead, you can't draft me again. Well, they didn't know what to do about that and so they took it to the highest court in the land and the emperor himself came up with a verdict and this is what was written. Through a surrogate, this man has not only fought for his country, but has died in his country's service. No man can die more than once. Therefore, the law has no claim on him. And the good news of Easter is that because Jesus Christ came, because he became our surrogate, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because He came and He has died for us, the law no longer applies. That because Christ is risen, we have been risen. That because Christ is alive, someday we shall be alive together with Him in glory. He has paid our debt. He has paid the price. And on the cross when He declared, it is finished. It is over. It is done. We can take hold of that finished work of God this day and enter into God's presence knowing that He accepts us and that He loves us and that He has an eternal home waiting for each one of us. I want us to turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. This is what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Long before Jesus went to the cross, he knew exactly what would happen to him. It had all been planned out. In fact, it had been planned out from eternity past. That three things were going to happen. That Jesus would suffer. That Jesus would die. And that Jesus would rise again. He would suffer. He would die. And he would rise again. I want to say to you this Easter Sunday that each one of those three things shows us something very important about why Jesus lived. What Easter is all about. Number one, the trial of Jesus shows us his purpose. Pastor Ike spoke so well on Friday about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the tremendous weight that was upon his shoulders as he looked to the coming hours of what he was about to endure. Why did Jesus do it? Jesus, on that night, endured six different trials. Three religious trials and three civil trials. The scripture says he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to go through it. He could have at any point stopped everything. It says in Matthew 26, verse 53, Do you not think that I cannot call on my Father and that He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But then how would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way. They were trying to convict Jesus. They were trying to find something. They pulled all kinds of false witnesses up and they said all kinds of terrible things about him. But in all six of those trials, there was only one thing that they found Jesus guilty of. Just one thing that sent him to the cross. Matthew 26:59 says that the chief priests and the Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two men came forward and they declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Why did Jesus go to the cross? What was it that put him there? It was because he was claiming to be God incarnate. He was claiming to be the only way of salvation. I mean, there's a lot of good people that have lived and that have died in the world today. Great teachers, great moral teachers, you know, really good people. But Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was a good teacher. 
He went to the cross because he claimed to be God. That was his purpose. Now, I mean, I'm standing here in front of you today, and I come up here on a regular basis, and I, I preach. You know, and, and normally you're very polite, and you nod your head, and you smile. If I was to come up here today and say, you know, oh, this and this, and, and you know, hopefully you would think that, oh, he's a, he's a, Pastor Steve is an all right guy. But if I was to stand up here this morning and claim to be God incarnate, claim to be the only way of salvation, I think most of you would probably see me in a different light, right? <laughs> you would probably think, wacko, crazy person. In a matter of fact, there are only three things that you can do with the words of Jesus. Number one, you can decide that Jesus was crazy. That he truly thought he was God, but he wasn't. A poor, deluded fool who said one thing, but really wasn't. Or, you can believe that Jesus was a liar. That he only claimed to be God because he wanted money or he wanted something from the other people. Or, you can believe that he was who he claimed to be. C.S. Lewis said it so well when he said this. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept him as a great moral leader, but not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit on him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being simply a good moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The trial of Jesus shows us his purpose. That Jesus came for one reason, and that reason was to give his life for us. To die on the cross for our sins. Jesus himself said, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. That's why he came. That's why he endured these trials. His purpose. The trial of Jesus shows his purpose, number one. But number two, the death of Jesus shows his passion. There's been all kinds of movies made about the crucifixion of Jesus. Yesterday they had the movie on television, I don't know if anyone watched it, Ben-Hur. I was talking to someone before the service and they said, oh, I've never seen Ben-Hur. And I thought, how can you never have seen the movie Ben-Hur? If you have never seen the movie Ben-Hur, I want you to go out to a video store and rent it and watch it. Okay, it's a great film. It's a classic. Watch the movie Ben-Hur. Anyways, all kinds of movies have been made about the death of Jesus. And most of them are, 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 are pretty mild. You know, they show Jesus up on the cross, but there's very little blood. Everything is very sanitized and very clean. The one movie that's not like that is The Passion of the Christ. And I really like the way The Passion of the Christ did it. The brutality of it. You truly understand how horrible crucifixion was. How terrible the death of Jesus was when you see the movie The Passion of the Christ. We see how he was beaten. 
We see how he was scourged. Scourged is worse than whipping. They would use this cat of nine tails. And I'm sure you've heard messages on this before. Or you've seen the Passion of the Christ. Where every whip would just lay open the skin. They were only allowed to give 39 lashes. Because usually 40 would kill a man. After the scourging, Jesus was in such bad shape. He was suffering from loss of blood. He was so horribly, horribly injured that he could not even carry the cross up the hill. They had to get someone else to carry it for him. That doesn't mean that Jesus was a weakling. He was a carpenter. Don't you think he'd hauled around lumber before? He couldn't do it because he'd already suffered terribly even before getting to the cross. But then when they got up on Golgotha, they took his hands and they stretched his hands as far as they could physically go without coming out of their sockets. And they took these nails and they drove the nails into the wrists. They didn't drive it into the hands as some people say because if you drove it into the hand, it would simply pull out. Instead, they drove it into the wrist between these two bones that you can feel in your arm. Now, there is a major nerve that runs between those two veins. And if you cut that nerve, it is incredibly painful. In driving the nail in there, they would have severed that nerve. It would have been a terrible thing, but that wasn't the worst of it. Because then they took the nail and they drove it into the feet. The arms were completely outstretched. And in that position, as you hung there on those nails, just the way it is done, your lungs are forced open. So you can breathe in, but in that position, you cannot breathe out. And so in order to take a breath, you would have to literally stand up on your nail-pierced feet to breathe out. But the pain was so excruciating, then you would slump back down and your lungs would open again. And you would have to wait until suffocating, you would have to stand and breathe out again. The cross was a terrible, terrible form of death. In fact, most people took days to die. And during those days, it was an excruciating up and down. And up And down, every breath you took, sheer agony. How did you kill a person on the cross? Very simple. You simply came along and you broke their legs. Because as soon as the legs were broken, you could no longer push yourself up. You could no longer stand. And so you would hang there, still alive, and literally suffocate. When they came to Jesus, they didn't have to break his legs. Because of blood loss, he was already dead. To make sure he was dead, they took a spear and they thrust it up into his side, into the inner cavity, so that water, it says, and blood came out. The fact that it was water and blood is important. It's an important observation because it means proof that Jesus was in fact dead. Because the body cavity doesn't fill with water like that until you've actually died and the water and the blood begin to separate. There is absolutely no doubt that when they took Jesus off the cross, he was dead. 
the Romans were professionals. They knew if someone was faking it or not. You think about the agony of what he endured. The scourging, the beatings, the crown of thorns, the cross. And now imagine this. At any time, any time during that process, Jesus could have simply said, enough. He could have simply said, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. And yet for hours he hung in agony. What kept him on the cross? It wasn't the nails. It was you. It was his love for each one of us. His passion that for God so loved the world, he allowed his son to suffer and to die. Romans 5.8 said that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know if anyone here has seen that movie, 127 Hours, about that guy that's rock climbing, gets trapped. and It's a true story. He actually has to cut his own arm off in order to get away. And, you know, I, I watched that show, and it, it's pretty gruesome. I mean, this guy, this boulder, literally comes down and, and just smashes his, his hand up. And there's absolutely no way to move the boulder. And he tries this, and he tries that, and finally he has to break the bones and cut his own arm off. And amazing story, and I'm really grossing some people out, so I'll stop. But I just want to say this. Put yourself in that man's position. Now, there are people that endure terrible pain on earth because they have to. That guy didn't have a choice. He made a mistake. Boulder came. Don't you think that guy sitting there in that cave, if you had have said to him, if you want, we can just remove the boulder and make your hand back the way it was. Do you think he would have not have said, yes, that's a good idea? <laughs> Do you think if you had have given him the option, you know, you could either stay here or you can go, with a, you know, that, that he wouldn't have at some point said, yeah, that's a really good idea, I like that deal, I think I'll take you up on that offer? Imagine being there in that position and knowing, knowing that at any point, all you had to say was one word and everything would have been fine. That you didn't have to go through it. That at any point, you could have called it off. You could have just said, you know what? I think I'm tired of having this boulder and I think I'm tired of cutting my own arm off. I, I think I'll just decide to end it now and to be done with this, you know? How Jesus hanging on the cross with the ability to have just called it off, endured. The Bible says it was for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before Jesus was you. And the joy that was set before Jesus is me. That as Jesus saw us, as he saw our faces, as he looked to the future, he endured it. All the way to death, right to the end, he endured it for each one of us. The trial of Jesus shows his purpose. The death of Jesus shows his passion, how much he loves us. But lastly, the resurrection of Jesus shows his power. They took his body and they put it in a tomb. Back in those days, they didn't bury people. What they would do is they would dig into the side of a hill and then they would make this trough and they would take a big millstone and they would roll it over the entrance. Why is that? Because... In those days, when a person died, 
you know, they would take the body, they would put it somewhere where, you know, it, it, it wouldn't smell too much. That's what the purpose of the stone was for. They would wrap it up, they would put spices on it, and then they would put it there and wait. A year, two years later, they would go back, and by that time, the body would have completely decomposed. They would pick up the bones then, and they would put the bones into a box. And that's basically the way that they would store people. They would kind of pick up the bones, put all the bones in a box, put your name on the box, and put your box in with the family boxes, usually in some kind of a, 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 a place for, of remembrance. And so, because Jesus did not have a tomb, he didn't have a burial place there, they used Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They took his body, they prepared it, and they put it in the tomb. But then they put a guard on it, just to make sure that down through the ages, nobody would come along and say, oh, the disciples just stole the body. It says in Matthew 27:62, the next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, Sir, they said, remember that while he was alive, the deceiver said, after three days I'll rise again. So give order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been risen from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go to make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went, they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. They were afraid that the disciples were going to come and steal the body. But that's not what the disciples were thinking. In fact, the disciples at that point were scared. They were hiding together, huddling together in an upper room. Their dreams were gone. Their lives were over as they thought it. Everything they had thought that Jesus would go, that Jesus would become this emperor, this, this king. All those dreams had vanished and they were scared for their lives. They weren't thinking about taking over the Roman Empire. They were just wondering how they were going to make it through the next day. And yet on the third day, we know what happened. That the women went to the tomb to finish the preparation of the body. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And then they met the risen Jesus. That is the single most important event that has ever happened in the history of mankind. The resurrection of Jesus is the hinge upon which all history is based. Because listen to this, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if Jesus was simply a good moral teacher, then our faith is useless. Then there is no hope of heaven. There is no salvation. There is no life after death. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are still dead in our sins. And we are still hopeless in this world. Years ago, some of the top historians from around the world met. And together they decided the hundred most important events that had ever taken place in the history of mankind. The top 100 events in the history of all mankind. And at number four was the life of Jesus. And you may think to that, wow, that's... I remember when I heard that, I thought to myself, wow, number four. I mean, what came above that? I mean, what was one, two, and three? But then as I started thinking about that, I thought to myself, you know what? They're right. If you think that Christianity is simply about the life of Jesus 
that there was this nice guy called Jesus and he went around doing good things, saying nice things, encouraging people, and he led a good moral life and then he died and, he, and, and that was it. If that's all you think that Christianity is, then you're right. That should come around number four in the top 100. However, the resurrection of Jesus has to be number one. It was the resurrection of Jesus that turned this scared band of illiterate men into a driving force that in one generation would completely change the entire Roman Empire. It was the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that spurred the early church on so that people would give their lives. They would go to the, to, to the arena. They would die at the hands of gladiators. They would be burned to death. They would be crucified upside down with smiles on their faces because they knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive. And because Jesus had the power to rise from the dead, that Jesus had the power to save them from death as well. Because Jesus lives, we live. Because Jesus lives, we know that He has the power to save and He has the power to heal and forgive and set free and restore. Newsweek magazine once said this, The risen Christ is the center of the Christian faith, the mystery without which there would be no church, no hope of eternal life, no living Christ to encounter today. No other historical figure has ever made the claim that he was raised from the dead. It was the appearance of the resurrected Christ that lit the flame of the Christian faith. It wasn't the morality of the Sermon on the Mount which enabled Christianity to conquer Roman paganism. It was the belief that Jesus was alive, that he had truly been raised from the dead. There were people as Jesus was crucified that hurled insults at him. Come down from the cross if you're really the Christ. If I had been there, you know what I would have said? Come down from the cross? <laughs> you think that's impressive? Just wait a couple of days. He's going to do something far more impressive than that says that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared over 500 people. Can you imagine? You're one of the ones who put Jesus to death and here he comes walking down the road. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Remember when you killed me? Uh, that was <laughs> yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, God bless you. I mean, it's incredible. What does this mean for us today? We're here celebrating the risen Christ this morning, along with all kinds of different churches all around the world, all around the world this morning. People are waking up to celebrate the risen Christ. The, something that happened 2,000 years ago still has a huge impact on our world to this very day because Jesus didn't simply die, because he lives and he's here and he's with us even this morning. And yet for many people, they're waking up this Easter Sunday and they're not going to church. They watch these movies like Ben-Hur on television or, or, and, 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 and all these 
crazy Christians talking about this guy that was killed and he's, he's alive again. And, and, and they don't believe that stuff. For many people in the world today, Jesus is still on trial. He's still on trial. It was Pilate who said, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? There's still a lot of people asking that question today. If this was a court of law, if this was a courtroom this morning, and I were a judge, and I had the ability to call in some witnesses, these are some of the witnesses that I would call in. I would say, Simon Peter, you were with Jesus, you walked with him, you saw the miracles. What do you say about Jesus? And Simon Peter answers in Matthew 16, 16, that you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Martha, you saw Jesus raise your brother Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead for a number of days. What do you say about Jesus? And Martha says that I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Thomas was one of the followers of Jesus. He had walked with him for a number of years. After Jesus died, he didn't believe that Jesus was coming back to life. In fact, even after some of his disciples, fellow disciples, had come and said, we've seen Jesus, he said, I'm, I don't believe it. Unless I actually touch, put my finger in holes, I'm not going to believe. And that's exactly what happened. That Jesus came back and he said, Thomas, touch, see, it's real. What does Thomas say? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I started by telling a story about Napoleon. I'll end by telling another story. During Napoleon's campaign against Austria, his great army came to within a few miles of a little town by the name of Feldkirk, Austria. And they came in by night. And they said, at, at dawn, we're going to attack. We're going to go down. We're going to completely wipe out this little town. Kill everybody. And just as the soldiers were getting ready, just as Napoleon was about to give the order to attack, suddenly, all of the soldiers began to hear something. They began to hear singing. And bells began to ring. All across Feldkirk, bells began to ring. And they heard the singing. And they thought to themselves, what's going on? What's going on? And then they realized, oh, I bet what's happened is that they've called in reinforcements. The Austrian army has arrived. And the people are happy because the army is here to defend the town. And Napoleon thought and he said, this is too small of a town to, 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 to have many people die. So let's just move on. And he withdrew his army. And the city of Feldkirk was never touched. But you see, if Napoleon had been smart, he would have looked at his calendar. Because the bells of Feldkirk weren't ringing because the Austrian army had arrived. The bells of Feldkirk rang that morning because it was Easter Sunday. And the people weren't singing because the army had arrived. The people were singing because Jesus had risen from the dead. Because Jesus had forgiven their sins. And as the bells were ringing and the people were singing, the enemy was defeated. And the city was saved. And today we celebrate that same risen Savior. 
because Jesus went to the cross, because He endured the trial, because He gave His life, He went to the cross for our sins. And He rose again on the third day. Because of that, everything's different. Because of that, we have hope and we have life. And we can celebrate this morning. The enemy has been defeated. O grave, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? We can celebrate the fact that we have an eternal home and glory like we talked about last week to look forward to. Let's remember this Easter what it cost us. What it cost Him. What God was willing to do so that we could be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day. Lord, even as we have sung the songs today, we've released these balloons. Lord, we're so thankful that on that first Easter Sunday, so long ago, as the women went to the tomb to prepare the body and the stone had been rolled away, that hope began to dawn. They saw that gardener and they realized that it was in fact Jesus. That as Peter and John ran to the tomb and ran inside, they heard the word of the angel that he's not here. He is risen just as he said he would. That on the road to Emmaus, those two men were walking along and they were joined by a third man who later showed himself to be the risen Christ. That Father, all through that day, hope began to rise. That dreams began to be restored. Father, I thank you that through your Spirit, through the risen Savior, that you're here this morning with us. That, Father, that you have the power that you claim to have, that you have the grace and you have the eternal life that you said that you could offer. The resurrection proves it. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord. So very deeply, we thank you, Father, for all that you have given to us. And we celebrate this day that you are alive. Father, we look forward to the day when the world will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, when other people as well will hear the truth and receive it. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.